Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Empty Set Entertainment presents Slay, created by Scott Sigler. This story is intended for mature audiences only. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, junkies. We are now into the new writing format of this grand experiment known as Slay. Last episode, which was episode 15, this one, which is episode 16, and on, I am writing in roughly 10-minute blocks, so there is a natural end to each story segment. We put the shawarmi sound at the end of that segment, then an ad gets inserted when you download this, then the shawarmi sound again, and then you hear the rest of the story. So what I'm doing now is just like how they write in commercial breaks for TV shows, kind of a natural pause in the story, dump a commercial in there, we get back to it. Hopefully this makes the ads you'll be hearing in Slay and in all my future podcast work feel a lot more natural without the jarring interruptions you sometimes heard in Slay episodes 1 through 14. A heads up that we now have a tentative release date for Shakedown, book one of the Crypt series. It should be out October 2nd, 2023 as an ebook, as an audiobook narrated by the amazing Ray Porter, and as a hardcover. That's right, we're getting hard again. Ooh, did I say that out loud? Sorry. We should be about halfway through the Slay story right now. As you know, I write these episodes every week, record them every week. The story is starting to get a little top-heavy with so many elements, and my vision for how season one was going to end has gotten away from me because of all the cool stuff that has popped up while writing. This is a, this experience for me is just like writing the first draft of Nocturnal way back in the day, uh, which I also wrote every week and recorded every week. So, to try and fix this issue for Slay, because we want to finish Slay at about 80, 90, 100,000 words, not have it be a big 250,000 word book like Mount Fitzroy. So, to try and fix the issue of crafting everything toward a natural end for season one, I am bringing in my screenwriting partner, Rob Otto. We will see if Rob can help me take the story I have now and guide it to that satisfying end for season one, while also setting up future seasons that I have in mind. If that works, we should start seeing Rob's influence in episode 18 and on. That is my jibber-jab for this week. Let me get you caught up on the story, then we're all going to go put some visine in our third eye. Previously on Slay. Billy and Lincoln are on the run from a passel of bounty hunters. There's Boss Hog, there's Ole Soakbeard, and there is Veronica of Betty and Veronica, who is closing in and hot on their tail as they rush into the train station downtown to try and find a way out of this pickle. But Lincoln has told Billy that the way out is only through the men's room. And now, episode number 16 of Slay. Billy followed the man in gray through the train station. Billy had never been in the massive building before. He knew it was one of the city's oldest places, and it looked it. 
Heavy stone blocks made up the fortress-like outer walls. Inner walls were of old brick, mostly covered with time-worn, pale green ceramic tiles. Keep up, kid, the man in gray said, and don't draw attention to us. Laughable to hear this living freak say that, what with his cloak trailing behind him and all. But while Billy knew that the cloak was there, as well as the armor beneath, he could barely see it anymore. The man in gray had that same ghostly overlay on him that Billy had seen on Pragman, the Flechette sisters, the Croco Bear, and the Crattlebats. Beneath the fading overlay, the man in gray was, well, just a man. Some random Asian dude in a black knit hat, sunglasses, jeans, boots, a Lumencia leopard sweatshirt, and a long, rumpled trench coat. Charcoal gray, of course. This look was some kind of spell disguise, maybe. This way, the man said, and headed straight for the door marked men's room. So, this was really going to happen. Billy glanced over his shoulder. Far back in the sparse crowd, just entering the building, was Veronica, the same stunning brunette he'd seen in the alley that had ridden a fucking yellow panther and chased Billy and the man in gray through the city. Billy didn't see the handle of her broadsword, not anymore, but he knew it was still there. Veronica locked eyes with Billy, and she smiled. Nothing friendly in that grin, not one bit. Billy hurried into the bathroom. It looked like something out of an old-timey detective movie, all white tile and porcelain sinks that might be a hundred years old. Men at those sinks rolling suitcases at their sides. Three guys at the urinals. And there, in the last stall, the man in gray held the door open, leaning out just enough for one angry eye to silently say, hurry the fuck up. There was only one door out of this bathroom. This was a dead end. Billy didn't think Veronica would let something like a gendered bathroom stop her from coming in. She would be there in seconds. The only way to escape her was to follow a murdering psychopath into a men's room stall. No choice, really. Billy walked to the stall. He entered, had to slide past the man in gray as he did, silently hoping that the man in gray did not have a boner. The man shut the stall door. White tile walls. A white toilet the kind with a big silver pipe leading into the wall. The last visitor had peed on the seat. Of course. And there was a scrap of wet toilet paper on the brown tile floor. The man in gray placed his left hand against the wall. Blood immediately trickled down the tile. The man had grabbed a cradle bat right out of the air. One of the creature's wicked talons must have sliced his hand deep. You're cut, Billy whispered. No shit, the man in gray said. He tapped another tile. Put your palm right here. Why? What's going to happen? The man's upper lip curled, revealing the teeth behind it. Kid, I'm not feeling so good. You put your hand on the tile now or see if you can charm Veronica into not decapitating you. And personally, I don't think you're all that charming. Veronica, with that big-ass sword. Maybe Billy couldn't see it anymore, 
but he had a hunch that would not stop her from using it to slice off his head. He reached for the tile. As he did, he saw the faintest overlay on it, a silvery rune, sharp angles and shapes that somehow seem older than time itself. Billy pressed his palm against the tile, felt its coolness against his skin. Try not to puke, the man in gray said. Then he flushed the toilet. Billy threw up. He was floating in a field of absolute light and total darkness. His body twisted, warped, contorted, deformed and reformed a thousand times in the span of a second. I told you not to puke, the man in gray said. Like a rubber band stretched to almost breaking, then snapping back in a skin-stinging crack, Billy found himself whole again. No walls, no floor, no ceiling, blinding white nothingness in pitch-black infinity all around. Where are we? On our way to the patchwork, kid. To Cordis. No more illusion of an Asian guy wearing a trench coat over jeans and a sweatshirt. No overlay, no disguise. The murdering man in gray was all cloak and scratched armor, the color of the moon's dark spots. Gray splattered with blood. Some from others, some from him. That roiling smoke once again hit his eyes. His right pointer finger circled his left palm. Acrid steam rose up, smelled of burned pork, and vanished into the surrounding emptiness. Billy wiped bile from his mouth. He had puked on his torn shirt. As if pissing himself hadn't been bad enough? What was next on the list? Crap his pants and complete the trifecta? Mind if I use the end of your cloak to clean myself up? You mind if I put my thumb through your eye? A simple no would have been fine, Billy said. The fuck is that bathroom? This is some Harry Potter bullshit or something. We teleporting somewhere? Are we in hyperspace? The man in gray shrugged. Has not really a name for this. Billy's body trembled. One thing after another, each more fucked up than the last. It was like black ice on a highway. One car piling into another, into another, into another. Was he going crazy? When we reach Cordis, we need to move quick, the man in gray said. Veronica will probably be right behind us. Billy thought of the gun duel between Pragman and the man in gray, the man in gray using a hatchet to hack the croco bear's head clean off. You're a bad motherfucker, Billy said. If she's alone, if Veronica's alone, can you take her? The man in gray reached toward his back, winced sharply. The hand wasn't his only injury, it seemed. Doesn't matter if I can, he said. She sees us, she'll attack. That'll draw attention. We don't want attention in Cordis. What the fuck is Cordis and why don't we want attention? It's a city, the man in gray said. Some people there want me dead. I want us gone before they realize I'm back. Another car sliding into the pileup. Man, I can't take much more of this, Billy said. You can, and you will, or you'll die. Or worse. Billy didn't feel cold anymore, yet he couldn't stop shivering. 
How is all this possible, man? How come some people know about this magic shit and most everybody else doesn't? Because of Jerboas, the man in gray said. They're always listening. Anger welled up, briefly shoved aside Billy's fear and confusion. What the fuck are Jerboas? I saw them eat a man, except they turned him into shadow first and then they ate the shadow. What are they? I swear I'm gonna lose my fucking mind. What am I supposed to call you? Do you even have a name? The man in gray was silent for a moment. Then the smoke vanished from his eyes. I'm Lincoln, he said. And I assume Lil B ain't your real name? I'm Billy. Please, man, I'm going batty here. None of this seems possible. I gotta know what's happening. Lincoln glanced left as if he was on a bus looking ahead for a stop. There's two kinds of people, he said. The enlightened who see the underskin, the world as it actually is, and the unenlightened who don't. The underskin contains what you're calling magic. If an unenlightened is exposed to it, told about it, Jerboas can come for them. There are spells that can block those memories. Mostly these little charm doohickeys called forget-me-dots. And there are other ways too. But if the unenlightened isn't made to forget, Jerboas will kill them and any enlightened who expose them to the truth. No one knows why they do it. But the end result is billions of unenlightened who have no idea what really exists. The Jerboas just take people, Billy said. But then those people are missing. Lincoln nodded. People go missing every day, kid. Doesn't happen that often, though. Enlightened who talk about magic or who use it openly and expose unenlightened to it, they get fucking eaten. Makes for an environment where people in the know keep their traps shut and they watch their step. Billy remembered Big Hack's screams. Tried to block them out. You, you can kill him, though, right? Billy said. Right? I mean, if the Jerboas come after me again, you can kill him. Lincoln huffed out a laugh. No one, no one can kill a Jerboa kid. Those who try, die. Billy knew that, if he lived, he would see those shadow creatures in his dreams. In nightmares filled with glowing red eyes, lava orange mouths, and gleaming steel teeth. One of them came right up to me, Billy said. I thought I was dead. I told Big Hack about magic. So if I told him, why didn't they eat me? Why didn't they eat the nerp perp? The man in gray, Lincoln, met Billy's eyes. Was the nerp perp the hippie guy at the end of the alley? Billy nodded. Did he talk about magic? He didn't, Billy said. He tried to get me to stop talking about it. Lincoln glanced to his left again. I don't know why the Jaboas didn't kill you, he said. There's something different about you, kid. The Nerpurp had said the exact same thing. We're coming into Cordis, Lincoln said. The entry's a bit bumpy the first time through, so uh, try not to shit yourself.
In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world. That ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. It was a close thing, but thankfully, Billy did not complete the trifecta. He had vibrated like a human tuning fork whacked by a ball-peen hammer. The ultimate white had become more white. The ultimate black, more black. He'd heard a sound, like a million twisted souls crying out in pain, and found himself on a stone platform. His legs buckled. The man in gray, Lincoln, grabbed him around the waist, kept him from falling. Easy, big chief, Billy said. You go into a bathroom stall with a guy one time, and people think you're easy. Try more standing, less stupid jokes. Sorry, Billy said. When when I get nervous, my mouth runs, and I'm so nervous. Billy's legs stopped wobbling. He stood on his own, glanced around. Tall, ornate stone pillars carved with runes and symbols with stylized faces of people, animals, monsters, rose up from the platform's outer edge pointing toward a red sky laced with wispy white clouds. He saw a pillar pulse with a pale blue light. From its base stepped a fat old man in a cardigan sweater. The blue light flickered out like the flame of a lighter just running out of fuel, and the pillar was once again lifeless, still stone. The man walked toward a wide hole in the center of the platform. Let's move, Lincoln said. Follow me and keep up. He strode toward the hole. Billy followed, more stumbling than walking, turning as he went, gawking at the stunning view. The platform was maybe 50 feet across, raised high above a chaotic tangle of winding, cobblestone streets of tall, ancient buildings made of stone and brick, of colorful awnings and glowing signs, of statues both battered with age and newly polished of plazas and towers, of turrets and walls and crenellations. Lincoln hopped out into the hole's nothingness. Billy thought the man would plummet, but he steadily descended into the shadow. There were other people further down than him, including the fat man in the cardigan. It was one hell of a fall, 
its bottom hidden in darkness. Billy closed his eyes, and he stepped out. His belly and chest surged when his feet touched open air, but he didn't drop. Like Lincoln, Billy floated, some unseen force holding him, lowering him at a fast yet gentle pace. Before he knew it, his feet touched down on an uneven stone floor. Glowing, colorful writing graced the arches of a half-dozen open passages leading out. He didn't recognize the languages. Hand grabbed the back of his arm. This way, Lincoln said. Don't talk to anyone. Don't make eye contact. Just follow me. He led Billy through a passage and out onto a narrow, curving cobblestone street. Buildings of stone or clay or old wood or brick rose up on all sides. There were no sidewalks. It was like those old European cities Billy had seen in the movies. Lincoln walked fast. Billy stayed a step behind. There were other people on the street. Billy couldn't help but peeking up every now and then, catching flash glances of those heading in the opposite direction. Most looked normal, wore normal clothes, normal-ish anyway, but some wore crazy costumes. A man in green with a red beard looked like a tall leprechaun. A woman in all-black lace, the spitting image of a witch. A skinny man on a litter. Four muscle-bound dudes wearing those weird sumo-wrestling jockstraps carrying him along. Men, women, and kids with sword scabbards at their sides. People with holstered guns. Long-bearded dudes with walking staves gleaming with gemstones. And it wasn't just people, either. One guy looked like a walking Bengal tiger dressed in a business suit. There was an ogre, like Longtooth had been, but this one was buck-naked, gray skin exposed. A fucking minotaur. And was that... Was that a goddamn elf? They turned right, walked a bit, turned left. They passed an open plaza filled with brightly colored canvas booths, people milling about. Billy heard a man arguing with a woman over the price of peppered demon eggs. Another left. Then another. The familiar sounds of a rowdy bar filled the air. Although in this place, maybe it was called a tavern. Another right, and this time, Bill heard the unmistakable big bass kick of dance music. A nightclub? Oddly, the sound didn't seem at all out of place in a city that looked so ancient. Billy had the sense this place collected not just multiple cultures, but multiple time periods as well, piling them all up on top of each other like a big deck of cards. Lincoln, Billy said, you gotta tell me— Shut up, Lincoln barked back. Not a word out of you. Keep your eyes down. Billy did as he was told. For all he knew, the well-dressed tiger man might tear him to bits. The cobblestone streets wound along. It hit Billy, quite suddenly, that he saw no auras, no overlays, no ghostly images. He understood, somehow, that he was seeing, perhaps for the first time ever, reality. He was seeing everything as it truly was. He saw the underskin. Another car smashing into the icy pileup, and another, and another. Billy focused on Lincoln's heels, tried to block out everything else. 
It was all just too much. Locked in as he was, though, Billy noticed that Lincoln was stumbling slightly. Stumbling and leaving a trail of blood spots on the cobblestones. Hey, man, you're bleeding. I'm fine, Lincoln said over his shoulder. It's, uh, it's not much farther. The cloak man turned slightly to let a horse wearing a red satin tuxedo move past, and as he did, he slipped on a rounded cobblestone and started to fall. Billy rushed in, got under Lincoln's arm just in time, caught his weight. The dude was heavy, but not as heavy as he should have been with all that form-fitting armor. Just, just take it easy, Billy said. Lincoln looked at him with those eyes, those slate-gray eyes that had seen too much bad and not enough good. Jeez, he said. You go into a bathroom stall with a guy one time. You said no stupid jokes. It was random and stupid when you said it. When I said it, it was timely and a clever callback. Help me walk the last bit. It's, it's just ahead. They continued on, Billy shouldering a good bit of Lincoln's weight. Lincoln pointed to an archway. Framed in stone, the black metal door there looked like something that belonged in a fortress wall. Lincoln raised his right hand, wrapped gauntleted knuckles against the door. Bap, 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 bap. He let the hand drop. That a secret knock or something? Billy asked. Can't put one past you, kid. The door swung inward, revealing a room thick with shadow and a dark shape moving around the edges of what little light filtered through. Help me inside, Lincoln said. Billy shouldered even more of the man's weight, awkwardly got them both through the door, which slammed shut behind them. Oh, Lincoln said in a whisper, this might not be the best place for your homophobic sense of humor, so keep your mouth shut. Billy glanced left and right, trying to see into the shadows. I'm not homophobic, he whispered back. I don't know what. Small torches set in the walls flared to life, blindingly bright for an instant, then casting a warm orange glow about the dungeon-like room. Billy found himself staring at a tiny man, barely three feet tall, with a long white beard, a pointy black leather hat, and a big naked gut that hung over leather pants held up by pink suspenders. Lincoln Franks, you bitch, the little man said. What a surprise. You come to pay me my motherfucking money? Hey, Bengals, Lincoln said. Ah, turns out I need a favor. You have been listening to Slay, created and read by Scott Sigler. Copyright 2023, Empty Set Entertainment. For more information on the author and more books, visit scottsigler.com. Theme music is the song They're Watching Me by the band Superweapon. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story. 
Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts.